Thank you, Clark, Moki, Carol. Thank you for that reminder. Jesus is always there. Let us pray. Lord, you are always there. You are always here. You are with us wherever we go. And so at this moment, as we turn our attention to the Scriptures, and as we prepare to hear it, to receive it, we ask that you bless the reading of it, that you bless the hearing of it, and that we are reminded that you are here with us. Your Spirit will speak to us, it will interpret for us, it will move us and guide us. Open our eyes and our ears, open our hearts to understand this, allow us to be moved by whatever it is that you have to say to us during this time. Bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? 
But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we are going through the book of Acts, I want to once again remind you that inside the bulletin, uh, we have scripture reading for the week, and, uh, and throughout the, the remainder of the series, since we're only going to be hitting, you know, sort of the highlights of Acts, there will be scriptures throughout the week with the rest of Acts, so that you can uh, read it on your own, and I encourage you to do that, to study through the book, so that you... Uh, Get a chance to read some of the pieces, some some of the pieces of the book that maybe we won't touch on here, and also you'll read some of the parts that we do touch on here, and, and you'll be uh, prepared for for a deeper study into that. Uh, as we go through the books of Acts, it's, it's important at this point for me to to say this: Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and the purpose of Acts. And really, in some ways, the purpose of Luke, too, uh, but especially the purpose of Acts, the, the purpose of both of them were, one of the purposes was to defend Paul, to defend Paul's mission and what he was doing. Because at the time, Paul was preaching to the Gentiles. There were rumors going around that maybe he wasn't really a Christian, maybe he wasn't really a disciple, maybe what he was teaching was, was contrary to what Jesus taught, maybe it was blasphemous, maybe, um, and, and, and why was he preaching to these Gentiles anyway? Maybe the gospel shouldn't be going to the Gentiles, and here Paul was a missionary all over Asia Minor and Europe. And so Luke set out to, to write his gospel. If you look through the gospel of Luke, you see all through it, Jesus is ministering to the Gentiles. And so Luke, Luke did this you know, on purpose. He said, look, these are all the times Jesus mentioned the Gentiles, all the times that he ministered to them and how he loved them and how he treated them, uh, not like outsiders, but as, as uh, part of the fold. And so then we get into Acts, and the first part of Acts, what we've been talking about up till now, is you know primarily the, the disciples, that inner circle, Peter and John and James and, and the, the early church there in Jerusalem. And then last week we talked about they were being persecuted because of who? Saul, right? And because they were being persecuted, they fled and they spread. And in doing that, they took the gospel to other areas. And then... Saul has this moment here, and, and, and Saul becomes Paul. And so I'll, I might use those names interchangeably throughout the sermon. You know, just bear with me if I do. I'm talking about the same person. But, uh, but this is sort of the turning point of Acts. This is when, it's really the turning point of, of church history. This is when uh, God really uses Saul um, to to go out and to to disciple to make disciples of the Gentile nations, but this is the beginning of it. Now, the the challenge with this story is that it's it's so familiar to a lot of us. It's uh, familiar to a lot of people because it resonates when we have one way of life, and then all of a sudden we come to meet Jesus. We we have this come to Jesus moment, and and so it changes us. And, uh, and so it's a very popular story. It's one of the more popular stories in the Bible because it represents an example of dramatic conversion, which, with, which a lot of people can resonate with. 
And so the challenge for us is familiarity. We become so familiar with it, maybe we don't know what to think of it or what to say about it anymore. It almost becomes for us like an Ebenezer Scrooge story. Remember, Ebenezer Scrooge was a mean old man who hated Christmas, and then he had this supernatural experience, and he woke up, and all of a sudden he loved everybody, and he loved Christmas, right? And so we kind of think about that with with Saul of Tarsus. He was a mean man who had this supernatural experience, and then all of a sudden he was a Christian. He had a change of heart. But I want us to consider this story as not only a conversion story. This is the beginning of something new. This is the beginning of a whole new story, is really what, what is happening here. Uh, screenwriters have a, a rule when they're, they're writing a script for a movie to always have a hook in the beginning. And a lot of the best movies will have something dramatic happen right at the beginning, like within the first ten minutes, so that you get interested in the movie right away. Uh, a, an old movie I like is, is Vertigo, the old Alfred Hitchcock movie with Jimmy Stewart. The movie opens up with Jimmy Stewart chasing this this criminal on rooftops. He's jumping from rooftop to rooftop, and then he ends up dangling from one of the rooftops, and that's where his vertigo kicks in. It's a very exciting way to get into the movie. It captures your attention right away. But that's not the whole movie. There's a whole lot more to the movie that happens after that. But that's the way, that's the entry point that gets you into it. So when we talk about the conversion of, of Saul, uh, I, I don't want us to think of that as the movie, as the story. It's the entry point. This is the exciting event that changes not just Saul's life, but changes the world. This is what the entry point. And with that in mind, I've always thought it would be interesting to revisit Ebenezer Scrooge if there was a sequel and see what he was like Christmas five years later. Was he still the the jolly, giving, kind-hearted person that he was that Christmas morning. Because a lot of times we'll, we'll have this, this, this experience, we'll have a conversion-type experience or a mountaintop experience, and then it just ends there. Maybe it has an effect on us for a little while, but it doesn't permanently change anything about us. What happened with Paul here was so life-changing, it changed his way of life forever. Forever, He was completely changed by this. All too often, I think we have these, these high moments in our walk with Christ. And then we spend the rest of the time looking back and, and wanting to get back to that. And thinking, I wish I could have the experience I had back then. I wish I could be as close to Jesus as I was back then. And, and so instead of thinking about where we are or where we're going in our walk, we're looking back with nostalgia at this one point in time, trying to relive it over and over again, maybe this one era of our lives. That certainly happened with me when I was in high school. I was uh, in this group called Teen Advisors. It was a faith-based group, um, and we went on a retreat, a fall retreat. And teenagers have a lot of... Um, a lot of layers emotionally because I, I, I remember the feeling really well. You're, you're one way with your parents and around your parents and then you're another way with you know some of the people in your class and you're another way with your closest friends. You're another way around the popular kids. You're another way around your teachers and so you've got all these layers and with that comes a lot of emotion and there's a lot of unpacking that has to be done to figure out exactly who you are. So, so I went on this teen advisor trip 
and uh, and they were leading in worship and music, and, and the speaker got up there and speaking, and it was all talking about being real, becoming who you really are before God. And so I had this moment where I just felt like I was unpacking a lot of pinned-up frustration and anxiety and all this stuff before God, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. The problem is I went home, and I kept trying to re-experience that. I kept wanting to get back to that, and it doesn't work that way. The experience is meant to change you going forward so that you live your life in a different way rather than trying to continuously go back and experience the experience all over again. You see, it's not just a change of mind that Saul had on the road. It wasn't a change of opinion that he experienced. It was a change of direction. It was a change for his entire way of life. There's a lot of irony in this, this scripture when it talks about the way. Did y'all catch that? The, it, it talks about the, the Christians. He says he was going to persecute the people of the way, belonging to the way. This was before they were called Christians. That was the early name, the, the, these followers of the way. And it comes from Jesus made the claim, I am the way, the truth and the life. So all these people said we belong to the way, meaning the way of Christ. We are dedicated, committed to the way. And then it sort of has this play on words where it says Paul set on or Saul set on his way to Damascus because he was going to persecute them. And so Saul has this one thing in mind. He has his own way of doing things. And then he gets interrupted there on the road as he's on his way to Damascus. The way, the truth and the life that is Jesus stands in his way and says, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And so Saul's entire way of life becomes different. It's no longer his way. All of a sudden he is living his life through Jesus Christ. Now I don't want to gloss over Ananias. I think a lot of times people don't even pay attention to that part of the story. But Ananias is someone committed to the way. Ananias has dedicated his life to following Jesus And he has this vision, and in this vision, Jesus appears to him and says, Ananias, go and speak to this man named Saul. Minister to him. Pray for him. He's expecting you. And Ananias does what I think every one of us would do. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've heard about this guy. He's breathing murder and threats against people who believe in you. To put this in, in, in a little bit more of a modern context... It would be like if someone who everyone knew was a member of ISIS was in town here in Buena Vista. There is a known ISIS conspirator here in town, and he has come here to capture Christians and to kill Christians. He's here in town, and then all of a sudden God tells you, go over there and see him. Go pray with him. And we would have that hesitation, right? Just like Ananias did. But Ananias was so committed to the way, to the way of Christ, he wasn't concerned with his own way. He was, considered, he was concerned with the way that Christ laid out for him. And he was obedient to that. And I think that was very important because for Saul, who experienced Jesus on the road, that may have changed his opinion of Jesus, but it wasn't until someone like Ananias came and prayed with him and prayed over him that, Anani- that, that Saul saw that this is something real. 
This is people that are committed to the way. This is authentic. This is real. And then it says Saul goes to Damascus and he proclaims Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You see, all saints are supported by other saints. All of us are on different parts of the journey, different walks. But we're all on the same path. We are all walking the same way, the way of Christ, and we are strengthened by each other as we go through the dark times, the troubling times, the unsure times. Other people strengthen us and support us. We can all name people in our lives that uh, have made us stronger. Their faith has increased our faith. I know I certainly can. And that's what Ananias was for Saul. It was someone who said, listen, the commitment to the way is hard. You're going to be asked to do things that are tough. You're going to be made to suffer in ways you don't want to. But we're committed to this because we know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so what happens, Paul does an about face. He still ends up going to Damascus, but he doesn't go to Damascus his way. He realizes the road to Damascus goes through Jesus Christ. And when he gets there, he does something he never imagined he was going to do. Instead of binding up Christians and bringing them back, he stands in the synagogues and proclaims Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you ever ended up somewhere doing something that you never thought you'd do? In 2006, someone came up to me and said, St. Paul United Methodist Church needs someone to run their soundboard. And for me at that time, I was thinking, okay, I could use an extra paycheck. And I enjoy doing that, you know, audio engineering is something I enjoy doing. And I'll be going, yeah, I'll be going to church every week. So, you know, that'll kind of get my parents off my back because they've been asking why I don't go to their church anymore. Now I have a reason not to go to their church and I can go to this one. And so that was kind of my thought process. I'll get a paycheck doing this, something I love, and and I'll be in a new church. I had no idea that just a year later, Claire and I would be married there in that church. Our children would be baptized in that church. I would end up working some with the the Meals on Wheels at that church. Uh, They did St. Paul for All. And in 2012, I remember standing there in my green T-shirt that they issued all of us, raking leaves at the Stewart home uh, with with a bunch of other people from the church and thinking, when I joined this church, or when I started working the soundboard at this church, I never imagined I'd end up here doing this right now. It wasn't long after that I got the call into pastoral ministry in the Methodist church. And that came also through that church. I had no idea what God had prepared for me in that place. Just like Saul had no idea what God was going to do with him when he got to Damascus. Saul had his way, but Christ intersected and said, No, you're going to come through me, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, last week we talked a little bit about the paradox of the Christian faith. You have to lose your life in order to gain it. For Saul, he had to become blind to see that Jesus Christ was the Lord. He had to lose his way in order to walk the way of Christ, to find the way that God had laid out before him. So when we look at this this story, this conversion of Saul, 
we see that it's not really just a standalone tale about someone's conversion. It's the entry to a change in our way of life, in Saul's way of life, in the church's way of life, and for each of us, our own way of life. I heard about a young preacher once who was appointed to this town. Before he had started, he was walking around town, and in one of the stores, he saw this old man. And he didn't know if the man was, uh, was part of his congregation or not, but he decided he needed to go strike up a conversation. And so this young preacher walked up to the elderly man and said, Excuse me, sir, I'm the new preacher at the Methodist church here in town. I just want to know, uh, are you saved? And, and the elderly man pulled out uh, a notepad from his, his pocket and a pen, and he wrote down the names of eight people. He tore it out and he handed it to the preacher. He said, Those are my four best friends and my four biggest enemies. You'll have better luck asking them if I'm saved. Because he understood that when to be saved, to truly be saved, means that we've had a change in our way of life. It changes the way we interact with the people around us. You see, meeting Jesus is only the beginning. Sure, it is a highlight moment, perhaps the highlight moment of our life, but it is also the entry point into a greater life. It's the moment that we realize the path we've been on is the wrong way. And so we go another way. Meeting Jesus is not merely a changing of our opinion. It's a complete changing of who we are. We end up in places we never imagined, doing things we never imagined, because our way of life has now become the way of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, so often we set about doing our own thing. We have our own plans, our own ambitions. And while they may not be harmless in and of themselves, sometimes they are. We think that we know best. Lord, we confess that we rarely ever know best. You alone know what you have in store for each of us. And so we take this opportunity, this moment today, to invite you to stand in our way. If we are going down the path of destruction, if we are going down a path that is not what you have laid out for us, we ask that you stand before us and remind us that you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. And if we are going to walk with the Father, we must come through you. Lord, we ask you to interrupt us to show your grace upon us, to blind us with your light if you have to. But change our way of life so that it becomes the way of life you desire from us. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Please turn with me in your hymnal today to page 12. I want to take the opportunity to remind you that this table here before us is not the church's table, certainly not my table. It is God's table, and all are welcome at it. For Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, 
We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.